excited about why we are studying doctrine, studying Bible teaching in the first place. After that, we had two sessions on the Bible, uh, why the Bible is important, how we got our Bible, how we got Bible translations. And then last week, Dave uh, taught on the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And tonight for session five, we are talking about the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, God the Son. Uh, So as we talk about Jesus, the doctrine that studies him is called Christology, just the study of of Jesus. Uh, And that word Christ um, simply means um, Messiah, and the word Messiah means anointed one, right? All throughout scripture, starting in Genesis chapter 3, there's this promise of this person who is coming in the future that will make everything right, that will undo what Adam did in the garden, a second Adam that will come. And so as we refer to Jesus Christ, that word Christ, uh, it's, it's not his last name, right? That's a title. It means Messiah, and the word Messiah means anointed one. So Christology is, is the study of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, it's a study of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So tonight, we're going to be focusing on the person of Jesus. We don't have enough time to get everything into, into tonight. So tonight is focused on the person of Jesus, uh, which we'll talk about here shortly. But when we talk about the, the work of Jesus, just to kind of give you an idea of what that means, uh, we are talking about what Jesus accomplished. And like an easy way to just kind of break that down in your mind is what he did as, as prophet, as priest, and as king. And we have talked about that several times in our different lessons on who Jesus is. Um, but as, as prophet, you know, Jesus completed the will of God the Father. He, he taught us about who God is. Right? He was the culmination of the perfect teacher, of the perfect uh, preacher. And then as, as priest, Jesus offered himself up to be our atonement, to be our substitution. He died in our place on the cross. And then as, as king, he is head over all of creation. He's head over the church, and he's head over all of us as individual believers. So that's kind of what the doctrine about the work of Christ is, just to kind of give you a little preview of that. But tonight, we're going to be focusing on primarily just the person of Jesus, because you have to get that right before you can go anywhere else. Who is Jesus? And I thought we'd start out just by reading uh, Hallmark's doctrinal statement about who Jesus is. And you can read this on our website, or if you have a copy of our bylaws, this would have this there as well. It just says, we teach that Jesus Christ in the flesh was both God and man, that he was born of a virgin and that he lived a sinless life in which he taught and wrought mighty works and wonders and signs exactly as revealed in the four gospels. And he was crucified, died to pay the penalty for our sins and was raised from the dead bodily on the third day. Later, he ascended to the Father's right hand where he is head of the church and intercedes for believers. And from whence he is coming again personally, bodily, visibly to this earth to set up his millennial kingdom. So that's kind of a complete overview of the doctrine of Christ. And again, tonight we're going to be focusing and honing in on the person of Jesus, who he was, his nature, because everything hinges on Jesus, right? All, all of scripture hinges on what the teaching, what the truth about Jesus is. Your personal eternal destination hinges on the person of Jesus and whether you believe 
the truth or whether you believe something that is simply of man-made imagination or ignorance. And so the truth about Jesus, not someone's opinion, is what matters. We have to get Jesus right because everything hinges on him. And almost every major religion in the world or people who even don't subscribe to any particular religion have an opinion about Jesus. Uh, if, if you're a Hindu, uh, you think that Jesus was a good teacher and you'd be happy to put him on the shelf alongside your other three million gods, right? If you are a Muslim, you believe that, again, Jesus was a prophet, but he was not the son of God. If you're a, um, even an atheist, right, you might think he was a real person who, who lived and who died, but he was not God, or he was just a good guy that everyone liked, but he was not God. But the problem is that the Bible tells us that Jesus was was far more than just a man. He he was a man, but he was more than just a man, right? He was the Son of God. He was God Himself in the flesh on earth. And so you you cannot have Christianity uh, without Christ. You you cannot have a relationship with God apart from Christ. So we have to have a proper understanding of the person of Jesus, who he is, and how that relates to our faith. So what we believe about him matters, because as we go through scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the overarching theme, the consistent thread through all of it is this person that is coming, right, in the Old Testament, this prophesied one that would come and make everything right. And then in the Gospels, the arrival of that promised Messiah. And then in the epistles, it's, the, it's expounding on the teachings of Jesus. And then in Revelation, it's we are looking forward to now the future return and reign of Jesus, right? All of Scripture hinges on Jesus. That's why I've loved, as we've gone through the Gospel Project during our Connect groups, we started three years ago uh, this summer. We started in Genesis, and we'll be ending in Revelation here pretty soon. Uh, but every step of the way, we see the Gospel. Every step of the way, we see a reflection or a foreshadowing or a foretelling of this person that is coming, Jesus. And I thought Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16, there's this really profound passage, and he's talking with his disciples because everyone has an opinion about him, right? Even when he was alive, when he was uh, walking around, teaching, preaching, doing miracles, people had opinions about Jesus. But then in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? What do people say about me, right? What is the opinion of the public about me. And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Right? So his disciples tell Jesus, all right, this is what other people think. They think you're some type of prophet. You're a good guy. You're a teacher. But then Jesus looks at them and says, who do you say that I am? And in verse 16, Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. So Peter gave a really good answer there. Usually he's putting his foot in his mouth, but in this time he nailed it. And so that's an important question that Jesus asked his disciples that every person must answer at some point in your life is, who, who is Jesus Christ to you? 
Is he just a good guy that had uh, some good things to say? Was he just a super nice guy that everyone loved? Was he a really good prophet? Was he just a good religious leader, a teacher? Or was he God himself in the flesh on earth walking among us? That's the most important question that you and I, that anyone can answer. And even before the New Testament is finished, the New Testament writers had to battle false ideas about the identity of Jesus. Right? Even in, in the New Testament itself, we see the apostles having to defend the identity of Jesus. Um, primarily, we see this especially in the epistles written by the apostle John. Right? He is constantly referring to Jesus having come in the flesh. Because today, I think you and I, most of our conversations and arguments, uh, or we're trying to convince someone about Jesus, is we're trying to convince them that Jesus was God, right? That Jesus is God. He wasn't just a guy. He wasn't just a good man, but that he was God. He was, he was more than just man. But in the first century, the, the argument was that Jesus was not human, right? That, that Jesus did not really come in human physical flesh. He was only God. And then a couple hundred years after that, it, it went to the other way. It says we had to, now he was human, but he wasn't really God. They had to argue about that. And then in the fifth century, it was, well, he, what, he couldn't be God and man at the same time, right? And so we're going to touch on all of those tonight. And, but even in the New Testament itself, we see the apostles having to defend the person, the identity the nature of Jesus. And so this is very important for us, for our faith, because uh, our early church fathers had to defend this for hundreds of years. And, and every generation really has to defend this in some form or fashion. I think today our primary issue is everyone will probably agree with you that Jesus was a nice guy. But it's whenever you start saying, no, Jesus claimed to be God... Jesus claimed to be the only way to heaven. Jesus claimed to be the exclusive way to God the Father. That's when we have controversy now. So it's important that we understand the nature of who Jesus is. He is the centerpiece of our faith. He's the centerpiece of Scripture. So we have to know who Jesus is. And so the first point tonight that we want to start out with is that Jesus was virgin born. Jesus was virgin born. Larry King, back when he was uh, the thing, he was once asked if, if he could interview anyone from history, who would it be? And he said, I would want to interview Jesus Christ, and I would just ask him one question. He said, I would ask him, were you born of a virgin? And he said, whatever answer he got, he said, that would define and explain all of history for me. And that seems kind of profound coming from someone like Larry King, who's probably not a believer, right? But he, he understood, and we should understand the fact that if Jesus was truly born of a virgin, right, the implications that that has for all of us, and why it even matters that Jesus was born of a virgin. So first of all, he was born of a human mother, right, but he was divinely conceived. Jesus was born of a human mother, but he was divinely conceived, right? In the incarnation, it was God made flesh, Right? Jesus had a literal, physical, 
human body, right? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary. He had a regular nine-month period in which he developed. He was born. He had a normal childhood where he grew up. He was a teenager. He was a young adult, and then he was a man. He was a regular, physical human being. But the difference, of course, is that he did not have an earthly father, right? It was a divine conception, the Holy Spirit uh, overshadows Mary. Uh, and again, that's a, a, a mystery that we can't fully comprehend, right? It's hard to explain. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary that, that, and that she becomes pregnant with Jesus. But there is no earthly father, right? That there is no one else in history who, who makes that claim. Because usually it's pretty easy to disprove, <laughs> right? Usually there's a guy somewhere who's been involved, right? But here we have this unique claim of a, of a virgin birth, right? And just think about there would be no reason to fabricate that because uh, Mary put her whole life on the line essentially for that claim, right? She, uh, she almost lost her relationship with Joseph. Uh, once Joseph was convinced by God that it was the truth, he put that on the line as well. They were, they were probably shunned and rejected by much of their community. The apostles wrote about the virgin birth of Jesus. They died for that truth, right? And so the virgin birth is, is super important. Um, you know, that, that cannot be said of any other religious leader, right? Muhammad, Krishna, Buddha, no one claims to be virgin born. Everyone claims to have had regular mom and dad parents. But Jesus makes the unique claim that he was born of a virgin, uh, and of course, that was to fulfill a prophecy of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which of course means God with us. And then in Galatians 4, chapter 4, Paul writes, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Paul makes that distinction, born of a woman. Right? He's not a normally conceived person. He is a virgin-born man. And so one of the fundamental reasons why being born of a virgin is so important is that Jesus had to be fully 100% man, but he also had to retain his sinlessness. Right? And as we know, whenever the fall happened in Genesis chapter 3, the fall happens not because Eve ate of the fruit, right? The fall happens whenever Adam is deceived, Adam takes the fruit, and that's when all of creation falls into sin. And so the Bible teaches in Romans that it is, the, it is through the man that sin nature is passed on to people. So dads, you're all at fault here. Women, you're kind of off the hook in this instance, right? And so all, all human beings are, are sinful, right? But, but the Bible teaches that it is through the man that sin nature is passed on to children. And so how does God get around that? Well, he uses Mary as a human vessel to carry his son, but he bypasses the means by which sin nature is passed on. So that's why the virgin birth is so, so important. If you take that away, if Jesus was conceived like all of us were, then he would have been born with a sin nature just like you and I have right now. But because he was virgin born, because it was the Holy Spirit that helped conceive him, he does not have that sin nature. Um, and so he's physically related to Mary. Mary was Jesus' literal, physical mother, but he's only legally related to Joseph. Joseph was more like a foster parent to Jesus than his actual dad. 
Um, so the, the virgin birth kind of gets around that issue of the sin nature. Because the whole idea of this promised Messiah was that he was going to set us free from our sins. He was going to save us from our sins. And how could he do that if he himself was a sinner? Right? Again, no one else makes this claim in other religions, right? No one else claims to have had this divine conception, but this is the, is the place where you and I have to start when we talk about the person of Jesus, is that he was conceived, he was born of a virgin, because if he had a human father, then he could not be who he said he was. He would be a regular human being. Then he would have been just a nice guy or just another prophet. Secondly, we see that Jesus is fully man. So he was virgin born, and because of that, Jesus is is fully man. Um, So he was born of a human mother, and so his ordinary birth affirms his humanity, right? There was was nothing about Jesus uh, in his humanity that was not like us, except for the fact that he did not have a sin nature, right? He had the same emotions that you and I experienced. He experienced all the range of human emotions without sin. Uh, He experienced hunger. He got tired. He was thirsty. Um, Jesus had all of the regular human bodily and emotional experiences that we all have. He was a 100% human person. He did not exempt himself from the hard things that come with being a human. He very well could have, but instead he chose to fully take on the form of humanity. So he was fully 100% man. Of course, Luke chapter 2 talks about the birth of Jesus. It says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swallowing clothes and laid him in a manger. He was a physical, literal, 100% human man. And so just like we have a body, Jesus had a body, right? Just like we have a physical, literal mind, Jesus had the same mind that we do. He, has, he had all the same range of emotions that we have. He was a man just like you and me, except he was without sin. So he was, that, that is the fundamental difference again because of the virgin birth. He was sinless. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, and she, um, that's the wrong verse there, but it says, he was tempted in, in every way as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4, 15 is the correct verse. I just had it written down here differently. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us that Jesus was like us in every way, yet without sin. He experienced all the temptations that you and I have faced, yet he did not sin sin. Right? Because of the humanity of Christ, he can now identify with you and me. God is not separated from us in that he doesn't understand when you and I are tempted to be angry or to be greedy or there's lust in our hearts. Right? Jesus understands all of the temptations that men and women today face because he was once 100% a human being. He still is 100% man, right? It's hard for us to comprehend. Like we, we often are so busy defending the deity of Christ, right? Trying to prove that he was God, that he is God. We forget that Jesus was and still is 100% a human being. Um, you know, and no other individual, right, has ever um, received the accolades of a sinless life the way that Jesus has, right? This, this fact that he was a sinless man is, again, something that makes him unique. Uh, if you read any of the other religious texts about Muhammad, Krishna, whoever else, um, they, they talk about bad things that those people did, right? Um, no one really references 
you know, Krishna as like, man, I want to be like a nice guy. I'm, I'm going to think of Krishna, right? Jesus is kind of like the universal, you know, uh, everyone agrees, whether they believe he's God or not, they, they agree that Jesus was a good man. He was the, he was the perfect example of a good human life. Whether or not they, they believe in him as God is, is, is one thing, but Jesus has this unique place in, in the human psyche now ever since um, his, his life that he is like the best example of what it looks like to be a person because his life was not characterized by materialism, greed, sensuality, right? All, all these things that we see in other religious leaders in, in other religions. Jesus stands unique in that his life was completely pure. So why did Jesus have to be 100% human though? So we understand he has to be completely sinless. That, that was the whole point. That was the whole goal of, of the virgin birth. But why did he have to be 100% man. Because remember, this is what the Apostle John defends in some of his epistles. This is what the church in the first century had to defend, right? This, this is the big argument was that Jesus was spiritual, that he was God, but he was never fully 100% man. But Jesus had to be fully man, because if he was not fully human, his obedience in our place would have been meaningless, right? In, in Romans, uh, Paul talks about Jesus as the second Adam, right? That's, that's one of the titles that's, that's given to Jesus. Because the first Adam, Adam, right, he failed, he messed up, he sinned, he caused us all to fall. But then the, there needs to be a second Adam, an, another man who will come, who is perfect, who will set us free from what the first Adam did. But it has to be a man, Someone, some other human being has to be a substitute for all of us human beings. That makes sense? It, it couldn't be some, some alien, right, that, that takes the place of, of a man. It had to be someone who was 100% human just like us. And also that meant he had to die in our place, right? As someone who was 100% human, who had a physical human body, a human soul, a human spirit, had to take our place and suffer the consequences for all of humanity. So this is why it's so important that Jesus was 100% man, because mankind needs a Savior who is a man, right? And Jesus was that perfect um, Savior. He was that second Adam to take that place. So before, again, before the New Testament is even completed, in 1 John, there were people who were denying that Jesus even came in the flesh. Um, but again, this is important because in 1 John 4, 3, John writes that those who deny that Jesus has come in the flesh, he says that they are teaching something that is from Antichrist, right? So it's not just, oh, if, if you believe he was 100% human, great. If you don't, it's not a big deal. According to the Apostle John, if you don't believe that Jesus was 100% man, you're believing a teaching that is anti-Jesus, that is anti-God, that's anti-Scripture. He had to be man because he had to be our substitute. You know, we, we couldn't have an angel be our substitute. We, we, we couldn't have some other spiritual uh, being come in and take our place, to take our place on the cross, to take our place for our sins. We needed someone who was fully man. Have I hammered that home enough? <laughs> so Jesus was virgin born. Uh, he was fully human. And thirdly, he was fully God. Jesus is fully God. So, of course, the, the disciples spent 
you know, three and a half years with Jesus. And you kind of see this progression as they begin their journey all the way to the very end is, you know, whenever Jesus first calls them, he is their rabbi, he is their teacher, he is their leader. But over time, as they hear him teach, as they, as they watch him perform miracles, as they see the way he lives his life, they, they quickly realize that he's saying things that only God can say. He's, he's doing things that only God can do. So there has to be something more to him than just being a man. There's something more to this person than just being a rabbi, than just being a teacher, than just being a good Jewish man. He was someone who was divine. So the Bible clearly says that Jesus is fully God. In Colossians chapter 2, Verse 9, Paul writes, For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Right? Paul is saying, within Jesus is God. Jesus is, is God. Um, he's called Lord 6,000 times. Um, of course, he's announced as God by, by the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 2. Um, in, in Revelation, we see him proclaimed as God. He's, he's being worshipped as God. Um, he's referred to as Lord, Yahweh. He's referred to as King of Kings, uh, which in Jewish culture, that's a title that only God would give to himself. Uh, so we see all throughout the, the New Testament, Jesus is proclaimed as being divine, as being God. Because there are many people today who will say, you know, Jesus never said the, like the literal phrase, I am God, right? He, you can read the whole New Testament, and there is no sentence in there that says, you know, from God in red letters, by Jesus, I am God, right? But that's a really weak argument when you understand all the things that were said about him that he affirmed. And all the things that he said about himself. In John chapter 8, uh, verse 58, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. That, that title, I am, goes way back to the, to the New Testament. Whenever Moses is at the burning bush, right, and God is speaking to him, telling him about how he's going to set his people free from Egypt. And Moses says, well, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them that I am sent you. Right? That was a, a title exclusively reserved for God ever since that time. And again, that, that title, I am, meaning I was, I am, and I will be. Like he's an all forever existing God. So that's why the, the Jews crucified Jesus, right? That's something that people tend to overlook is whenever they talk about, well, he was just a good guy. He was a nice guy. He was a good prophet. Always ask people, well, then why did so many people hate him also? Why did his own people murder him, right? If Jesus was just a nice guy walking around being everyone's friend, then why did, why did they kill him, right? They, they killed him because he was claiming something that no one in Jewish culture was supposed to claim, right? He was a man walking around saying, I am, equating himself with God. And, of course, he was God, so he could say that, but they didn't believe that. And so that's why they killed him. And then in John chapter 10, verse 30 through 33, he has this phrase, I and the Father are one. Right, just in case you missed it before when I said I am, now I'm saying I and the Father are one. He says, me and God, we are one. 
Again, that's why they were going crazy. That's why they were trying to murder him. That's why they did murder him, because he kept making these claims about himself. So Jesus does not ever say in the Bible, I am God. But he does say, I am, right? And that's, and that's the phrase that, that the Jews understood that, that we need to understand. He says, I am. And he says, I and the Father are one. Whenever, G, whenever uh, Muhammad claimed uh, to have received his revelations, um, he didn't understand what they were at first, right? He had to be told by other people, all right, these are, these are signs from God. Uh, whenever Buddha began his quest for uh, nirvana, he, had, he was searching for an answer. He, he didn't start with the answer. But Jesus never once goes on this journey to define himself, to find the truth and then share it, to find salvation. Jesus starts out by saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. His unequivocal, bold claim from the very beginning of his ministry was that I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah that was promised. He is constantly identifying himself with Old Testament imagery, with Old Testament prophecy that pinpoints him as being the true Messiah. And of course, he, he backed it up with his miracles. And that's, and that's the next thing is that Jesus did the works of God. Right? We see that he, he created. In John chapter 1, uh, he says, in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was participating in the act of creation way back when. Right? He was there at the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word. Right? That's how John begins his gospel. In the beginning. He was part of the creative process. And of course, in the Gospels, we see Jesus. This is something else that ticked off all of the religious people, is that he forgave sin, right? Jesus would, would look at someone who had a disability, and he said, your sin is forgiven you. And all of the religious leaders would go, well, who is he to do that? Only God can forgive sin. And they're absolutely right. And that's why he was doing it, because he was God. He was doing something only God could do. Um, and of course, he was worshipped, um, and he accepts worship from others. Every other time in Scripture, when we see uh, apostles or prophets, when they do something amazing and people begin to worship them, or they go a little too far, right, in their thank and like in their thank yous, uh, we always see them like say, "Hey, I'm, I'm just a man like you. Don't worship me. Worship God. It was God that did this." But whenever Jesus does a miracle, whenever Jesus does something awesome, he accepts worship. He accepts praise. He he never once tells anyone not to worship him. Again, who accepts worship? by God alone, right? So Jesus accepts worship as well. Um, and of course, he, he would bring people back to life, right? Something, again, only God can do. And again, he culminated that by bringing himself back to life, the, the ultimate miracle, right? He himself physically died, but he brought himself back from the dead. So Jesus did the works of God. But the other thing to, to understand is how he was divine is that he, he was preexistent, right? Jesus was never created. Jesus has always been. Now his body, his physical human body, was formed, just like all of our bodies were formed during Mary's pregnancy, but the person of Jesus has always been. He has always existed. There's never been a time when Jesus has not been. So other religions will teach 
right? That, that Jesus was created just like the angels were, or that he was created as a, as a man just like we were. Uh, but Jesus is God. Because he is God, that means he, there's never been a time when Jesus was not, right? He has always been. Um, and that's why John says in, in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh, because that implies that he had already existed before he became flesh. But the word had always been. Um, and so also when he, whenever the Bible says that Christ was rich, but then he became poor when he became a man, right? He, he was before, and then he became a man. And so we see throughout Scripture as well, it, it affirms that Jesus is not this new figure that just appears on the scene in, in history, right? He is someone who has always been. He's the one who has started history, right? And the Bible says that he sustains all things. He holds everything together. Now, the physical body, the physical person of Jesus shows up 2,000 years ago. But Jesus himself has, has always been. So there never was a time when Jesus was not, and there never will be a time when he will not be. So the most important reason, though, as to why Jesus had to be God is that if he is not God, then his death that he died as, as a man would not have been sufficient to pay the penalty for the sins of all mankind, right? He had to be God in order to, to pay the penalty because how do you pay for the sins of everyone who has ever lived and everyone who, who will live, right? Just think of all the sins that you've done in your life, right? Try, try to count them. And you probably won't be able to if you're anything like me, right? There's, a, there's too many sins that I've committed to count. And that's just me living right now in, in 2018, right? Think of the thousands of years of human history, the, the billions and billions and billions of people that have lived, that are living, that, that will live. And one person needed to take the sin, the penalty for their sin on himself. One single person. Who else could bear that burden but God alone? He had to be divine. Because only God could pay such an infinite penalty. But he also had to be a man so that he could die. Right? God cannot die. God can't bleed. Right? God can't suffer. But Jesus bled. Jesus suffered. Jesus died because he was also 100% man. But he had to be God because there had to be a way for us to be saved. There had to be a way for salvation. And so we see this mystery that is pretty hard to fully explain, uh, kind of hard to fully comprehend, but it's so important to our faith is this, this understanding that you have one person and in this one person is someone who is 100% man, but they're also 100% God. And they had to be both in order to fulfill the mission that Jesus was here to do. And that's why he proclaimed in John 14, 6, why he, why he could say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He wasn't just a guy pointing us to God. He says, no, I am the way to God. I am God himself, and you come to God through, through me. And finally, we see that Jesus is fully man and God in one person. Fully man and God in one person. So he is one person, but, but two natures. You and I, we all have one nature. We have a human nature, right? But Jesus had a human nature, and he had a divine nature. Coexisting in the same person, 
right? Super weird to think about. It's like, well, so when Jesus was a baby, did he still have all of God's, you know, knowledge and powers? Like, what was going on there? I don't know, right? No one knows. The Bible does not explain it. What the Bible does tell us, though, is that he was fully man and that he was fully God. Um, in John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so this is a, a concept that uh, the theological term, if you want to learn your theological term for the month, is hypostatic union. I didn't put that on the board. It's not worth remembering. You'll forget it by the end of tonight. But that's this concept of trying to remember, trying to understand, try to put together how can someone be fully God and fully man. It's this union that only takes place in Christ that never happens again. Because at, the, at his incarnation, at his birth, he became a human being, but he was also fully God at the same time. Imagine being Mary, holding, holding your infant newborn baby, 100% human baby, right? But at the same time, all the power of God right there. How that works, I don't know. Please do not ask me how. But it's true. That, that's what it was. Because even as a human, it says that, that Jesus grew in stature. He grew in wisdom. He grew in knowledge as a human. But then as a God, like, wasn't he also fully omnipotent and all-powerful already anyway? So it's, it's confusing. It's a little bit of a mystery. But that's, that's your term. If you want to think about that hypostatic union, Google it. You'll see some crazy stuff. Um, so many people would, expl- would attempt to explain how, how that works, but it's so hard. Because, I mean, God... Like I said, God doesn't suffer. God doesn't die. God doesn't... Um, that God doesn't live with us, but Jesus did because he was a man. And so God showed how passionate he was for us and for our salvation through this whole process, right? If there was any other way for us to have been saved, God would have done it, right? People will often say, you know, I just don't see how a good, loving God would, would say, you know, Jesus is the only way of why if I don't believe in Jesus or if I'm not a Christian, why I wouldn't go to heaven. I'm a good person. I try to do good things. I haven't killed anyone, right? That's a classic line. I never killed anyone. But think, if there was a way for you and I to be saved apart from Christ, then why would God go through this whole process of condescending himself making himself a man and then make all of these exclusive claims about himself saying I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but by me I am I am God why would he go through that suffer be rejected by his own people be uh, tortured by his own people be murdered by his own people why would he go through all of that if it was not absolutely necessary Why would Jesus choose to make his exclusive claims if he was not exclusive? Why would Jesus demand, give so many warnings about hell, right? Saying, look, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. He says, I am the gate, right? I am the way. Come to me. Follow me. Why would he say all of these things and if there was another way? And so people are usually pretty readily going to agree with you and me if we try to convince them that Jesus was a good man, right? He was a nice guy. But then they say, well, I don't see how a good, loving God could then exclude 
if I'm a Muslim or Hindu or if I just don't believe, then just ask them that question, why then did Jesus make so many exclusive claims? Why then did Jesus die? Because if he didn't have to die and he just died anyway, that's kind of, you have nothing else to do except get murdered and crucified, okay? I, I, I don't think that's what it was. No, it was an extreme thing that God had to take an extreme step to do in order to save us. And so he became a man, but he was still 100% God. And the cool thing is, though, is that God, or Jesus, is still in his physical body. After he was resurrected from the grave, it was his transformed, resurrected body, but his physical body that was here on earth is right now in heaven. He will forever have that physical appearance, right? After the resurrection, we see the apostles, uh, they are, are hiding out, right? And Jesus shows up finally, and, and the apostle Thomas, uh, who's been doubting this whole time, Jesus calls him over and says, hey, look at my pierced hands. Look at my pierced side. Jesus right now in, his, in heaven has his resurrected physical human body. And that's the kind of body that you and I will have. You and I, these bodies that you and I have right now, you're going to have it forever, just so you know. This body will never leave you. But the good news is, is that it will be transformed, right? Whenever Jesus comes and takes us home, our, our bodies will be changed just the way Christ's body was changed. But our physical bodies will live forever in heaven, just as the physical body of Christ is now living forever in heaven. In Acts 1-9, whenever Jesus ascends up into heaven, it says, As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Right? Jesus went up that way for a very specific reason. He, he could have just vanished. Right? He'd already done a couple of vanishings before this. Right? Just kind of, he was there, then he was gone. But Jesus physically takes the time to physically ascend up into heaven. His disciples are just kind of left there looking up at the sky. Right? Because he's going to physically return as well. In the same body that he left in. Looking exactly the same. Right? Jesus has a physical body that will be returning when he sets up his kingdom. And Philippians 3 talks about how our bodies will be like his body. In verse 21 of Philippians 3, it says, Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like Christ's heavenly body that he has right now. That's cool, right? But the thing is, we are, we are not going to have scars in our hands, scars in our side, scars in our feet. But Jesus has kept those scars for all of eternity as a memorial to the sacrifice he made in order for us to be saved. Because our salvation was not cheap, it was not easy, but God himself had to become a man and endure this earth for 33 and a half years without air conditioning. <laughs> All for the sake of, of our salvation. All because he loved us and he cared for us and not want to leave us here helpless. And we kind of see another great example of this dual nature of Christ um, at the transfiguration, right? Jesus is with his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. He, he calls them up to have a special meeting and they get up there and it's Jesus, but he's different. And there's Moses and Elijah there. And there's just this, this crazy, supernatural meeting going on. And Peter wants to camp out forever, right? Which is natural. But we see here in that, in that one glimpse 
that Jesus, he was a physical person, but there was something more to him than just being a man. He was, he was God, but there's something more to him than just being God. He was also a man. And so this, this nature of Christ is so important for our faith because he had to be born of a virgin, because he had to be sinless. He had to be a man because we needed a human substitute to take our place for all the sins that we've done. But he also had to be God because only God can take all of the sins of all of humanity upon himself and pay for them and earn our way into heaven on our behalf. And so he had to be all these things in one person, and that's who the person of Christ is. In Philippians 2.11, the Bible says that someday everyone will say that Jesus is Lord. Whether they're believers headed to heaven or whether unbelievers headed to eternal punishment, every single person will someday say, Jesus is Lord. And so that question that Jesus asked Peter who do you say that I am, is the fundamental question that we need to ask ourselves and that every single person that we come in contact needs to be asked. Who do you say that Jesus is? In our culture here in Texas, most people say he's a good man, he's a good teacher, you know, whatever. They all say something good and positive about Jesus. But then ask if they know what Jesus said about himself. And then do they agree with that? Because that is the fundamental question that must be answered, is who do you say Jesus is? What do you believe yourself about Jesus? Because who Christ is has everything to do with the gospel, right? What is the good news if, if Jesus is not who he said he was? Because the good news is that Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus came back to life, and Jesus is the way of salvation. But if Jesus is not Jesus, then there is no gospel, Right? So understanding the person of Christ is essential to our understanding of what the true gospel is. That's why um, Mormonism is a cult, right? Because they deny this view of Jesus. He, they view him as a fallen, sinful man who was created just like us, right? That's why Islam is incorrect. He was just a good prophet. Uh, that's why Hinduism is incorrect because. They say, oh, he was a, a good man, but he's not an exclusive way to God, right? There's so many ways. Everyone has to deal with Jesus in some way. They have to come up with something to believe about him. The question is, do you believe what Jesus has said about himself to be true? And so our goal is to answer clearly the most important of any question, uh, the most important question any human will ever ask is, who do you say that Jesus is? And hopefully this um, quick run-through of the person of Christ was helpful. Um, I wish we had time to dive into the, the work of Christ as well. Um, but I would really recommend, if, if you want to read a little bit more in depth about the person and, and the work of Christ, uh, just let me know. I have a lot of good resources. One that you can all look up real quick if you want to. Um, Ligonier, it's a really weird spelling, L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R. And then just look up Christology. And they have this really nicely done website about all the explanations of the finer points of the doctrine about Jesus, some of which we talk about tonight. But there's a lot more as well. Um, but the person of Christ is vitally important to our faith. If you get the person of Jesus wrong, you're going to get the gospel wrong. You're going to get scripture wrong. You're going to get salvation wrong. 
convincing people that Jesus was not just a nice guy who had some nice things to say, but that he was a man who made radical claims about himself and was murdered for those claims. And so what do you believe about him? Right? What do you believe about his death, burial, and resurrection? Amen? Let's pray.